part of that is going down the roads, you know. Even Atlanta, we changed. When I went to Atlanta, it's one of the first things I changed. You know, we just, you know, the women, a lot of times at the eat ups, you know, the women take it first or have them offer flowers first at Guru Puja and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Have them chant the verses first in the Bhagavatam class. Yeah, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any justification for gender bias in the spiritual programs. Now, marriage, of course, you know, women basically just have to be slaves of their husbands. But that's different. That's outside the question. Yeah, it's even a single issue, like, ladies first. Mm-hmm. It's in the Bhagavatam. In the, in the beginning of the, in the um, seventh chapter of the first canto, when the Pandavas and all the gurus, when they were going uh, down to the Ganges to do funeral ceremonies, it said they put the place the women in front. The women went in front. I mean, how can you protect someone if they're behind you and you can't see them? Like in Marino. No, it's just... Yeah, it's just like so... It's like so retarded. I mean, first of all, it's like, hey, guess what, guys? The girls are prettier than you. And so, I mean, even in terms of, like, marketing the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, there's all these nice, beautiful ladies. Just put them out there, you know, let people see the beautiful people chanting Hare Krishna. The bluster, the, the girls, but the, the girls, because they know how to dance, and they have to all these spin around. Yeah. They're very nice dancers, and they're young, so... Plus, they're, requi- they're required to get a certain level of cosmetic surgery before <laughs> you get into the spinning core. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jaya Sitita. So, since we're talking about innovations in the Hare Krishna movement, um, I observed that um, the Sunday Krishna dinner is held at the temple room, actually. Right. Like, food tables set up there, and uh, it's like a, like the temple rooms get converted into, into, a, into a little dinner room. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That, that's been done in many places. Actually, even in Laguna Beach, they used to always do that because they just didn't, didn't have space. It's the only space we have. What? In Hong Kong, they have a temple and restaurant in the same, exactly the same place. Yeah. They're just not, we don't, I mean, I know Carl Khan would like to have a separate dining area, but he just doesn't. That's the only place we have. Mm-hmm. What could make the deities happier than to see conditioned souls coming to the temple and taking prasadam? And sitting in chairs. Oh, I know. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Furniture is so carny. We should make devotional furniture, like design. Yeah, all kinds of weird Indian furniture. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you're recording! Oh my god, I am so busted here. When Prabhupada, when Prabhupada was on 26th and 26th Avenue, they would, you know, they had a room. And that's where they would hold their services after they'd eat prasada. That's, that was just the room. Many examples of that still. But just the fact that there were like, tables and there was, um, there's, they charge, you know, it's like, like that formal. Well, that's nice. I mean, the idea that Vedic culture is floor culture and like somehow Western degraded, fruitive culture is furniture culture is a, I mean, it's, it's obviously a very eccentric, ahistorical notion. Because actually, if you look at the Bhagavatam, it's full of furniture. (laughs) Yeah, the Bhagavatam is furniture intensive. So, 
they would be able to talk about, you know, data culture, large furniture showrooms. <laughs> but actually, they, they always mention, you know, seats, benches, couches, it just said furniture. The idea that somehow it's not spiritual to use furniture is like... <laughs> Eccentric to say the least. Because we're using it for Krishna. Of course, we should make people comfortable. Here's one for your graces. When Prabhupada first bought the LA property in 1970, it was an old church, and the sanctuary had all these pews. And so the devotees were very eager to rip all the pews out and make it into a temple room. And Prabhupada said, No. He said, No, you should. He insisted they make the temple room in, in a secondary room, kind of like the, you know, the, what do they call it, the uh, social hall of the church. They made the temple room, and then he loved it. He had pews. He said, yeah, the, the Americans will feel comfortable. And so probably every Sunday, when he was in L.A., when he gave the Sunday lecture, the people would come out of the temple room, where they have the kirtan, into the sanctuary, and they would sit on pews and probably give his talk. Prabhupada insisted they do it that way. Because he wanted them to be comfortable. It's not the International Society for the Comfortable. What? I'm comfortable. Yeah. Prabhupada always said just add Krishna. Just to add Krishna. I guess it's part of a complicated thing to kind of add to the one. Like complicated, like sitting down. You know, you have to sit down. It's like, like, like you essentially probably said, just add Krishna. Why is it that sometimes it gets so complicated? Well, because that gets into psychology. You know, Maybe people have chairs. What? Maybe because they have chairs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things are going in the right direction now. I didn't follow the principles, but there's also something. Well, if I follow the principles of necessary, there's something special, which is really like responding. You really kind of cry out to Krishna. You really open your heart to Krishna and give yourself to Krishna. Even though we're so imperfect in so many ways, but if we we have that bhakti, that just that real devotion, we really sometimes you really take Krishna seriously as a person, you really accept him as a person. And he's not just like a religious icon or a philosophical category or you know, something. But you really really just bring your heart to Krishna. And uh
part of me alone, a life of me alone. So Krishna is insisting that you need to, that you're really part of me. That's how you should identify it. So they were part of Krishna. And, as, and if you really think of those examples, they're so powerful. I mean, I heard them in my whole youth. Cause I, I do it when I was 20 years old, so I just heard those examples innumerably and, and explained them so many times, like, like the hand is part of the body. But think of it. The hand is part of the body. It, it has no interest apart from the body's interest. And so in the same way, we are part of Krishna. Our existence is part of Krishna's existence. So we serve Krishna, we are directly serving ourselves. It's just like when you water the root, you are watering the leaves. If you, if you see in your little plant, the leaves are dry, you don't water the leaves, you water the root. So if you want to be happy, please Krishna. If at any moment in your life you don't feel happy, it's like, duh, I'm not, you're not, I'm not pleasing Krishna. And so Maya... The whole trick of Maya is, I'm not happy, I have to make myself happy directly. Whereas, we have to overcome that sort of knee-jerk, illusory reaction. If I'm not happy, I have to please Krishna more. I have to please Krishna. If I'm depressed, if I'm confused, if you are in any state of consciousness, which you find in any way that's desirable, it's like the depth of our own unhappiness or anxiety is just the depth of our not pleasing Krishna. Because we're part of it. And if Krishna is not pleased with me, it's only because I'm not doing what's best for me. Krishna has no false ego. Krishna has no selfishness. So Krishna is not pleased with me when I'm not doing what's best for myself. He's, he's an absolutely unselfish being. And so, it's just Krishna. We just have to please Krishna. That's, it's so powerful, logical. It's obvious that's the ultimate truth, <coughs> that we have to please Krishna. Yes? So, following that line of logic, does that necessarily mean that when you're going, when someone's going through depression, that they're being the most selfish? Uh, well, they're physiological states, so they have you know, a certain, certain Gnarly karma to sort of have some kind of physiological issue. But, but if I'm not, I mean, it doesn't mean like right at that exact moment, but if, I, if I'm not happy or depressed, it's like stop, look, and listen. <laughs> Just like time out on the field. What did I do that displeased Krishna? What is there in my mental activities, my physical activities, my verbal activities? What have I been doing? What am I doing now? What did I do? You somehow just please Krishna because that's all you have to do. It's so easy to become happy. All you have to do is approach Krishna within your own heart, right? And pray to Krishna, please show me if it's not obvious to you. How can I displease you and how can I please you? That's all it takes. It's so simple to be happy. It's so simple. So it's it's like the way I put it, it's like the, it's like they they put those grooves on the shoulders of roads that be going off the road, you know, your car starts vibrating. So that's all anxiety is. It's just those little like they're like speed bumps. Or they're like those bumps that you're going out of your lane or going off the road. That's all. Mm-hmm. 
spoke his first word. It's like, like Krishna and Radha, Radha and Krishna just, they're just thinking, oh, isn't that cute? He just made his first prayer or something. <laughs> so Krishna actually thinks it's cute when you pray, you know? So, I mean, he, after all, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, his own accord, he says this, I am the father of this world, Mata and the mother. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Krishna says, I'm the mother. So Krishna has paternal and maternal feelings for us. This as he manifests as right in Krishna. So, so, I mean, Krishna loves us. He really, all he's trying to do is just save us. He's just trying to save us. And whatever suffering or anxiety we feel is the minimal, minimal suffering possible to achieve an absolutely essential Fish body. 
he's not like on a board. He's just like, you know, he just totally do it as a fish. So Krishna comes and he surfs the waves of annihilation. Like these waves are a million miles high. And you know, the earth lord fish just like <laughs> riding the crest. He's just like, you know, hanging all my hands he had. You just hear like this, like this ancient Vedic, you know, surf music. And, you know, Lord Fish is <laughs> surfing the waves of annihilation. And Krishna, and Krishna is definitely the origin of baseball, no question about it, because it's like there's all these pastimes where like they'll uproot a huge tree and someone will throw a stone. It's like, it's going, it's gone. And, and, you know, they do that. It's just like that, that sport where you take a bat and someone throws like something and you, you know, knock it out of the park. And Krishna does that. They use trees and boulders, but it's the same idea. <laughs> I mean, just like, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you were just like some sort of like, I don't know, sort of like dour, sort of, you know, needs a anger management course, like Yahweh or something. You know, if you were just like some god, I mean, why would you come as a boar? Imagine Krishna comes as a boar, as like this, you know, like mixed martial arts boar, and he's got, he's got a club and everything, he gets right into the octagon with, you know, Hiranyaksha. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. He's, uh, Hiranyaksha, I explained it in the class, right? Gold, gold eye. It's funny, you know, do you guys, like, some of you are too young, it's like you're totally out of it, you're so young, but it's like, there was this famous James Bond movie, Goldfinger, do you remember that? Yeah. It's famous, but Goldfinger, it's like, Goldfinger, or something like that. And so, uh, it's like, Ronnie Kashkul is Gold Cushion. It's like, you know, the original James Bond thriller, Ronnie Kashkul, Gold Cushion. And then, uh, and then there's, there's Gold Eye, Hiranyaksha, it's named Gold Eye. Imagine this cosmic battle, like they're up in outer space. And imagine going out one day, like walking out of your little room, looking up at the sky, like right there in outer space, there's this huge boar with a club. <laughs> and this Hiranyaksha, they're having this super, like, supreme pay-per-view battle. Right out, like right up in the sky in outer space. I mean, it is so cool. Right out in outer space. Isn't it? Imagine just like looking up in outer space right there and they seeing these giant creatures like having a super battle and you know, throwing these clubs like glaringly fulgent clubs and you know, these super like Fulgent, glowing weapons streaking across the sky like comets. Imagine the sounds it makes. Like, <laughs> imagine it. It's like seeing the supreme battle right up in outer space. It just doesn't get cooler than Krishna. I mean, why would you want some other deity? What would you want? Like, people say, well, I don't believe God actually has, you know, formed you. See, it's like, what are you talking about? Why are you metaphysically blinding yourself? They just, they 
kids want some divine cloud that hovers about some god that you can't. It's like, hello, you, we we be having fun right now. You know, if you had a real deity. <laughs>
they love Krishna so much. It's real love. It's real love. And when you really fall in love with someone, it's not lust, because real love means it's only love pouring out of your heart. You're not trying to exploit the other person. You can't you can't love someone and try to exploit them. It's just attachment isn't love. The reason we're against attachment is because it's not true love. It's not romantic enough. I was making this point before. Material attachment is uh, you know, a no-no in the Hare Krishna movement, although everyone does it you know, to some extent. But, but material attachment is a no-no because it's, because it's not romantic enough. It's not, it's not real love. It's based on vanity and lust and so many things. And so, of course, we have to work through those attachments. It's not like, you know, I mean, few people go cold turkey and jump to the Paramahansa stage. But the ideas in the spiritual world, it's like in this world, people like to say, well, I, you know, I'm in love. What we say about that is not, that's Maya. We say, no, you're not, you're not in love enough. Because if you were really in love, it would be pure. If you, if, 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 because so the problem is, it's like this great line, the Sense Sensibility movie. Such a great movie. It's funny. My cousin, my cousin, Pow, was a devotee. I have a cousin who's a devotee. I should meet her someday. I love her. But she, um, so I got her kind of anyway. I got her kind of hooked on Krishna and so. She, she, she herself, she, she actually is like, like a published author, clothes designer, she professional singer and so on, but interesting person. But she, um, super cool. So she, she's really critical, I mean, she's really like critical of material culture. She's like very fussy about material culture. And she, but she got hooked on Jane Austen. So she watches the, the Sense Sensibility movie that Thompson over and over. I mean, not constantly, but she just really is hooked on it. So, so she wrote me this letter to say, I'm watching this again. I love it so much. And her songs were kind of like, she's like a female Bob Dylan almost. So she said, I'm really hooked on this song, uh, on this. I wrote really the songs. So I wrote her back. So that's great. So I'm just reading Sense of Sensibility. And then I think I, said, I first sent the letter to the wrong address. So I went to my secretary, Nanda Nandana, in Boston. And she said, yeah, when I got that, I was watching the same movie. It's so funny. But there's this one line that it's, it's really Krishna conscious. There's this one line in that movie where it's a great line. It won Academy Award actually for Best Screenplay. But um, where Marianne, Marianne realizes that Willoughby, Willoughby was the guy that she fell in love with and she thought was in love with her, but then he kind of betrayed her. And um, so anyway, after all, toward the end. Her older sister, who uh, is the seventh one, says that, well, I think that despite the fact that he, he left you because because he had been disinherited, so he had to marry rich, because he, he, he was like panicked because he was disinherited because of some bad thing he did. <coughs> and so then, then his older sister said, but I, I think all in all, he, he did love you. And then Mary Ann says, um, but not enough. That's just this great line, you know. It's, it's that, what's her name, Kate Winslet? That's actually was her little breakthrough rule. But. And then Emma, Emma Thompson, she put this Shakespeare sonnet in it, which is so Krishna conscious, because it's, it's really the whole point of the book, and, and the 
movie that so the sonnet by Shakespeare, I think it's 117, I think, is um, love is not love that alters when an alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Isn't that great? Love is not love that alters when an alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. No, it's an ever-fixed mark that looks upon storms and does not shake it. And so, and so that's that thing of unalloyed love. Love is not love that alters when an alteration finds. And, and that's the whole point. That just pure love. Pure love of Krishna. And because we are all part and parcel of Krishna, it's natural to fall in love with other souls because they are also part of Krishna. So falling in love is as natural as falling off a log, although we don't really have logs. So, so actually falling in love, falling in love is completely natural because we love Krishna eternally and everyone is part of Krishna. And certain souls have natural affinities. It's just like even in this life when we're practicing bhakti yoga and certain devotees just get along very well. They just hit it off. You know, they just have similar tastes or they see things and say, there's an affinity. And... Uh, even in the spiritual world, there are souls that just have special relationships, or even couples, like boyfriend and girlfriend, or married. And uh, but everyone loves Krishna so much that um, that they really love each other. They really so it's like the spiritual world is just infinitely romantic because there's real love, there's true love. It's a great place. And it's our real home. It's like it's actually our real home. And we keep trying to what's the word? Uh, sort of recreate it here artificially. So whenever we try to enjoy when people like, you know, search for a relationship or their soulmate or all these lofty words people use. We're really trying to find the spiritual world. We're really trying to find the spiritual world. We're groping for the spiritual world. In fact, whenever we try to be happy in any way, we're really just trying to find our way back to the spiritual world. Because it is our nature to be always ecstatic. It's our nature. We are blissful by nature. And we're trying to get back to ourselves. It's like, it's like when you wake up and, and you're kind of groggy, you're trying to, you know, shake, as they say, for some reason, the cobwebs out of your head. You know, you're trying just like to wake up. And so we're trying to wake up. We're, whenever we try to love or try to be loved or try to find happiness in any way, we're actually trying to wake up. We're trying to get back to ourselves. But, um, Anyway, bro, uh, it's very dangerous to self-medicate. You know, you really need to talk to someone knows what they're doing. And so, Prabhupada came and told us, you're trying to be happy because you're trying to find your way back to yourself. You're trying to get back to your home. You're trying to... We're like little lost children trying to find their way home. And so Prabhupada came and said, this is the way. 
and taking Prabhupada's home, taking Prabhupada's hand, is giving yourself to him. And Prabhupada is the one person in this world that, that will never cheat anyone. He will, Prabhupada said, take my hand, and that hand which Prabhupada extends to us is his Krishna consciousness movement in the process of bhakti yoga. And if you want to sort of like jog back to the spiritual world instead of just, you know, crawling, then you have to get, then you have to really get in the spirit of Sankirtan. Sankirtan movement, getting into this real mood of helping others, the more we try to help others, the more Krishna helps you. And the less we try to help others, it's like, it's like doing to others as you would have them doing to you. If we think Krishna can help us, if we think Krishna should help us, we should be helping others. We should be we should be acting on those principles with which we want to be treated. When I was just talking to a devotee who was studying psychology, she was talking to one very, very good devotee counselor. Archon City was a really nice devotee and a counselor. And she was saying that one thing that they say is treat your treat your treat yourself the way you want people to treat you. In other words, it's not only treat others the way you want to be treated, but treat yourself the way you want others to treat you. In terms of you know, having a certain dignity in your life. Anyway, I guess getting late. What time is it now? Yeah. But anyway, Krishna, I'm like, like we're promoting this week. Our, this week's promotion is the spiritual world. And. So, whatever our minds may tell us, or how our senses, those wonderful friends have dragged us through every painful, filthy place on the map. Like, whatever, whatever our minds or our senses may tell us, we have to have strong intelligence where, it's just like um, Odysseus, in that famous story from the Odyssey, where he's trying to get back to Ithaca, for the new semester at Cornell. <laughs> Actually, the city of Ithaca, New York, was named after the island of Ithaca, which is west of the Peloponnesus, as you all know. So, Odysseus, if you know the geography, he was in Troy, and then he's trying to sort of basically sail around all the Greek islands and come back to the other end. That's where Ithaca was. And so... There was this place where there were these sirens, these women that would sing so beautifully that it was, it was just maddening, it was irresistible. And all the men, you know, the, the sailors would go toward the sirens and, and then, of course, crash their boats on these jagged rocks. They would die. Boy, there was some truth in that. Anyway, so, so Odysseus, <laughs> he wanted to hear the siren song, but he, uh, uh, you know the story, right? He had his crew, he, all the people in the crew, they, they plucked up their ears of wax, whatever, and, and, and they, they tied the rope to the mast. He said that no matter what I say, just to say along. <laughs> and so they, they came by the sirens, he was listening to it, and just he became mad also, was begging and crying, you know, take me there. But they wouldn't, they just sailed on. So that's where you get that expression of sirens, so. And then what happened? Well, they just went on their side. And then he realized. Yeah, that that was by 
So, I mean, I mean, there's so many stories from that. Cause that used to be such a foundation of Western education, like the Cyclops and you know, the Odysseus, the Odysseus, and so many things. The, the Lotus Eaters. Anyway, so, so that's what it is. My, we have to just always remember that what Krishna tells us is true. And that's also real, a big part of bhakti, that no matter what your mind tells you, no matter what your senses tell you, it doesn't break your faith in Krishna. Not merely your faith in Krishna, there is such a thing as Krishna, but your faith that Krishna has told me the truth in Bhagavad Gita. It's actually the truth. And Krishna tells me that sense gratification actually leads to suffering, not to happiness, I believe him. I not only believe that Krishna exists, but I believe in his teachings. I, I believe he's told me the truth. And so no matter what my mind or senses tell me, I just believe Krishna. And I know, as Krishna says in the, as Ted Patrick, the programmer, once said in the Bhagavad Gita, I also know that as Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita, Ananyas chintiyantumam yejana paripasate techam nityavijuktanam yogichimam bahameham Krishna says that for those ananyas who have no other, who have nothing else in life, like Krishna is really everything, which means, okay, I have material desires, maybe a tank like this or like that, but still, in, in the deepest part of my heart, like in the core of my heart, there's really like Krishna. My mind may sometimes drag me this way or that way, but ultimately in my heart, I'm really, I'm really dedicated to Krishna. I really do accept Krishna as everything. And, and thinking about Krishna. People worship it this way. Krishna says, I bring them what they lack and preserve what they have. So Krishna says, Yoga Chimam Vahamiham. And this verb, Vahami, is actually the verb in Sanskrit. It means to physically carry something. Like the word Vahana. Vahana means like a vehicle, like a transport, like from which we have the German Wagen, Volkswagen. So V A H, Vahami. Vehicle, English vehicle, wagon, wagon. So, Krishna says, I personally carry it. That's a word he uses. Vahami. I actually physically carry it to you. And uh, so that includes our emotional needs. It doesn't just mean like, you know, five fruits, five vegetables a day. It also means, it also means your emotional needs. We have emotional needs. We even have physical needs. And so, Krishna's saying is that if you just trust me, I will actually fulfill your desires. Krishna is not going to drag you frustrated, kicking and screaming in the spiritual world, just like this, you know, hung up, frustrated person. You know, you know, that Krishna, I mean, Krishna's in our heart. He knows what our needs are, emotionally, physically, intellectually. He knows us. He's in our heart. And if you surrender to him, he's not going to just, you know, frustrate you to death until you sort of burst in frustration. Krishna is going to satisfy your desires in a way that will be safe. And the funny thing is that if you if you sort of like jump the rail, go off the tracks, and, and, and if we try to satisfy ourselves in some inappropriate way, even materially, you won't get nearly as much happiness as you would have if you would have just, you know, not chickened out and just stayed with Krishna. 
In other words, whatever your material desires are, emotional needs, physical needs, if you stay with Krishna, those desires will be satisfied much better in a much more interesting, satisfying way, and you won't fall down. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's totally one-stop shopping. Krishna is that big box door up in the sky. You know, it's like, it's amazing. I've actually tried, I've actually tested this theory, because in my own life, uh, I just kind of tried to hang in there with Krishna. And I found that whatever, like, lingering material desires were there, or whatever, this or that, just, it's, it's like momentum, because it, it's like you're driving your car 80 miles an hour, and you realize, oh my God, I'm going the wrong way. You can't just, like, you know, slam on the brakes and flip the car over the median and, you know, keep going the other way at 80. Unless you're evil, can evil or something, but so it's like we we join the Hare Krishna movement. We have all these material desires, but I mean, well, at a certain point you realize I'm going the wrong way. I I, I should be a devotee. So meanwhile, your material life was like you know you were like burning up, you know, burning up the asphalt. You know, we were driving, looking for sense gratification, and then. To, I suddenly realize, uh-oh, going the wrong way. So then you, so at that point, you, you know, you join the cult. But, at that point, you, if, you, if you slam on the brakes, your car will actually crash. And so there's a certain momentum, there's a certain momentum of our material desires or vanity or whatever. And so Krishna consciousness means you just start, like, you know, gently applying the brakes. And you start developing higher taste. And so whatever, like material desires, because we have a material body. And this material body has like, you could say thousands of years of momentum. Because we've been engaged in material activities, life after life. And we have all these propensities which we've built up for who knows how many lifetimes. So these are very, some of them are very old propensities. There's a lot of psychological momentum in our material desires. And that's why you can't just like slam on the brakes and so but if you just trust Krishna, in other words, Krishna will take you, you know, warts and all, psycho warts, I guess you know, like cell body warts and all. So if you just if you just trust Krishna, if you just trust Krishna and give yourself to Krishna, he'll figure out an incredibly ingenious Creative plan to satisfy your desires and keep you on the straight and narrow, keep you in spiritual life. He'll actually figure it out. Krishna will find a way. I mean, it's amazing. Some of our, let's say, more uh, weird desires, maybe you know, maybe you may have dreams. I mean, it's so funny, but people have dreams, you know, or sometimes you hear stories about someone else. Sometimes you actually get a sanitized version of what you wanted. I mean, Krishna has a big toolbox. And he's got all kinds of tricks. He's got all kinds of tools. And Krishna has, like, ingenious, amazing ways that you never could have figured out yourself to walk you through this life. So at the end of it, you're not frustrated. You actually are happy. You experience what you needed to experience. And you're spiritually strong. And you're on your feet, you know, still in the octagon. 
Krishna is the smartest. He's just so brilliant. He's so intelligent, creative. He's so... And he, and, he, and he actually loves his devotees. So whatever your material desires are, whatever your propensities are, whatever your frustrations are, whatever your needs are, just stick with Krishna. Just stick with Krishna and he'll figure out a way to get you through it. And as I said, this, it's so funny because even materially, you'll end up much better off than you would have been. You'll actually end up much better off. Even in terms of satisfying your material desires, Krishna will figure out a better way to do it than you could have figured out yourself. And it won't degrade you. And it won't degrade you. So Krishna is... Um, he's just great. I mean, Krishna is so great. So this week's special promotion is Krishna and the spiritual world. Prices are slashed. But the hard part is to know what Krishna was pleasing to Krishna. Uh, it's it's not. It, it's only if I can't figure out what Krishna wants, it's because I don't want to know badly enough. Because it's like, in other words, if if you really want to know, Krishna will tell you. And if you're not sure, it's because you don't really want to know enough. And we have to know for the right reason, namely to please Krishna. If we really want to serve Krishna, it's like, Krishna, I need to please you. I want to please you. Please tell me what you want. Tell me. I am willing to go anywhere, do anything. Now, we have we have our limitations. We have a nature. Krishna, Atmani Vedana. Deliver, giving yourself to Krishna means you have to give your real self who you are. You can't give a fictitious person. I mean, you are a real person and you have a specific, unique nature. So to give yourself to Krishna means to give yourself. It's like, you know, I was born with a male body. And, uh, I mean, this is not the result of an operation. I was actually born this way. And so... Therefore, if someone says, well, we need to increase the population, so if you were really sincere, you would get pregnant for Krishna even though you have a male body. It's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, so when we have a certain, when you're a young devotee, you know, you can just be sort of like a big gopher. But, as, you know, as you get older in Krishna consciousness, you sort of do what you do because you have a certain nature. So, but still, you just so as far as how knowing Krishna wants, if you're not sure, it's Krishna telling you, pray, ask me more sincerely, come closer, come to me, come to me and tell me more. Just when you ask me what I want, just mean it more. You know, care more about what I want. I tell you.
just understand what surrender means. Surrender means you simply entrust yourself to Krishna, knowing that he will come up with a perfect program for you. Now let's say you go to let's say you go to some like, you know, athletic club or whatever. Let's say there's like this really world class personal trainer. And you simply say, I want to be in great shape. I want to be in great shape. So then you surrender the personal trainer. So okay, you know, we'll start the program. It'll take a while, but you'll end, at the end of it, you'll be in great shape. And so that's what surrender means. It doesn't surrender doesn't mean that you immediately become perfect. It just means that you are enrolling in the program. You're signing up. Okay, Krishna, I'm I'm giving my life to you. You take charge of my life because I know that you're not a religious fanatic and you're going to come up with a perfect program for me. You know what my limitations are, you know what my needs are, and you're going to come up with a perfect program for me. Oh, they follow me. They were driving, but they saw my car. Oh. <laughs> Sweet girl, and that's Govinda, is a sweet boy, and there's another sweet girl. 
that's, oh, that's his mother, Guani Nashana, from Brazil. He went to Brazil. This is Guani Nashana's husband, Gargamuni, who is a gringo. Philadelphia, also from North Philadelphia, right? No, Connecticut. Oh, Connecticut, also from the Northeast. This is Jaya Sita, who is a professional, she plays, uh, cello player, she plays for the Gainesville, what is it? Chamber Orchestra. Chamber Orchestra. She's actually a world-class cellist, she traveled around the world playing cello. Oh. And this is Super Ali, this is Ali Krishna from Buffalo, New York. What's that? Ali Krishna? Oh. From Buffalo, New York. Oh, I've been meaning to come because I just live up the street now. I just moved here. Where? Up on 6th Avenue. I see. 6th? 6th and 7th. You're on... That, that's right. 6th Avenue is right here. Yeah, okay. I'm on 6th Street. 6th Street. And 6th and 7th. And 7th Avenue. Oh, you're right there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've been meaning to come by. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. You are... Yeah, please do. I will. What time do you, you come every Saturday? Well, actually, to the occasion, we, we used to have Saturday program we stopped for a while because I was getting I was too exhausted from teaching. But um, today we had a, a video class, like live video class with Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. So some of the devotees came by. So. You were saying about how you pray. Oh, how it's, I pray. It's, it's really the technology of the prayer or what? <coughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you some sort of We just came from the beach, so we we don't usually. No problem. Give her that big. Give her that big key that's on the milk carton. Okay. (laughs) 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 No, we we see some of these prayers in the Bible now, and they are so elaborate. Yeah. You know, and before they ask something, they recite a dozen. Locus, glorifying Krishna. And then at the end, they, they asked. But then again, when there was a fire in Vrindavan, just like, holy cow, Krishna. You know, so it depends on the circumstances. And we offer prayers, like for example, we sing the Damodar prayers. You were singing that, right? The Krishna Center Damodar. Beautiful, beautiful song. Sanskrit is just exquisite. So, that, that's an example of an elaborate prayer with some sort of prayers. So all those things are actually our prayers, and we should we really sing them. We should sing them in a mood of prayer. I mean, I said because I know all the words mean. So when I, when I sing those songs, for me it really is a prayer. And and so we also offer those loud prayers. But then there are moments when it's just yikes. You know, you just pray to Krishna because, and even in the Bhagavatam you see that even Vrindavan. Sometimes the residents were just like something shocking would happen or frightening and they would just cry out to Krishna. There was no elaborate poetry. It was just crying out to Krishna. And sometimes we cry out to Krishna. And sometimes we have specific things like, I mean, all of us have different uh, weaknesses in the sense that we take up spiritual life. Some of our material desires are kind of like, you know, sort of, it's almost like gone immediately, never come back, like certain, certain activities. But then other material desires may really be kind of stubborn and, you know, it really takes a while to work through certain desires because they're like really deep-rooted. And so we may
Krishna to help us with certain you know, particular material desires that that are just more deep rooted, you know, than others. Like I, you know, I really had no problem giving up gambling. Actually, one time, I, when I was in middle school, I, we stayed junior high school, but that could have adversely affected someone's self-esteem. So you don't know, stay junior high school anymore. But when I was in junior high school, um, the, the kids got this poker thing. You know, you know, like there was, you know, the bowling phase, the poker phase, and the kind of golf phase. And at one point, the kids, I got a lot of friends. The boy, my boyfriend's like, everyone got into this poker thing. And I mean, those days, like. So my mother, you know, if I needed money, I'd ask her to give me money. So one time I played the poker game. I think I lost like two or three dollars or something, which for me was shocking. First of all, it was a lot of money. Back then. I mean, two, for a kid, you know, two or three dollars was that was actually money back then. And um, I remember I just felt so bad inside because I knew my father worked hard, and that I somehow like the fact that I got money from my parents and just gambled away really struck me. I never gambled again for money. And I, I never actually at one time I lost like two or three dollars. So much just like really struck me that there's something really bad about this. And so and so some things are just not, you know, they're just like very superficial. They're easy to give up. Most of these have like zero problem eating things like that. Intoxication, you know, the big two are, you know, sex and drugs are really kind of the, uh, some devotees have trouble with substances. Some devotees, uh, probably even, probably the biggest problem is lust. And so, you know, based, although there was one devotee who was a gambling addict, but one way is great. Oh, you're recording? Maybe the power. 
desire that power for the wrong reason. And you can only dovetail so much. I mean, dovetailing the idea of being high up material desires, we do it for Krishna. But if too many of my material desires are satisfied, or, or if they're satisfied in too powerful a way, I, I can become swept away by it. In other words, it's like I bit off more than I can dovetail. <laughs> and so, I mean, praying for the purity. Only the higher taste. The higher taste is the Sankirtan movement. Prabhupada was always engaged in trying to spread this movement. And that is the higher taste. I mean, chanting, everything Krishna consciousness you would say is higher taste. But really, the higher taste which lifts you above your material desires, which turns you into an inspired, powerful devotee, is that Sankirtan movement. And Sankirtan doesn't just mean going down the street and jumping up and down, although that's, you know, interesting. But, but there, are actually, there are actually many, many ways to spread the movement. And everyone, in a sense, has their own unique way of glorifying Krishna. Every, all of us have our own unique abilities and limitations and possibilities. And so so there, there's no limit to the number of ways that you, can, that you can spread the Sankirtan movement. It's unlimited. But it's the spirit, what's universal is the spirit that I want to spread this movement. That's the ocean of bliss that increases. That's Sarvatma Snapana, literally cleansing of every soul. I mean, that, that's the way the Shikshastu, that's Lord Chaitanya's first statement. His very first statement is, in his Shikshastu, Chaitanya Dharpana Marjana, Cleaning the mirror of the mind. Darpana is mirror. Cleaning the mirror of the mind. Chaito Darpana Marjana. Marjana is cleaning. Bhava Mahadavagi Nirvapana. Extinguishing. And Nirvapana is actually the causative form from Nirvana. Like Nirvapana means bringing about Nirvana. Bringing about the Nirvana, the extinguishing of Bhava Mahadavagi. The great forest fire of becoming. Because the becoming, I mean, it's actually so cool. Bhava, becoming is a word for the material world. Because it's the world of becoming. It's a world in which things don't you know, come into being and pass out of existence. And so extinguishing, it's so poetic. Bringing the nirvana, bringing the nirvana of the great forest fire of becoming. Like repeated births and deaths, also. It's very poetic. Baba Mahadavagi Nirvapana, Shriya Kaidava Chandrika Vitarana. This is very poetic. Spreading, spreading the uh, moonshine, moon rays of the um, of the evening lotus. I mean, it's amazing because the idea is that there's a lotus. I think it's a blue lotus. It's called uh, Kairava. It's a type of lotus which blooms at night. And so when the moonbeams hit this lotus, it opens and blooms. And so Lord Shaitanya says there's a Shriya Kairava. There is a, a night-blooming lotus of good fortune. And that good fortune opens. It blossoms when moon rays are, are spread. 
great forest fire becoming the spreading of the moon rays unto the night blooming lotus of good fortune. And enlivening the new pride of knowledge. It's just like when a girl gets the guy she really wants, then it's like she really comes to life. And so in the same way, Lord Chaitanya said, the, the bringing to life or the enlivening of the, of the bride wisdom. And Sarvatma, oh, Ananda Vardhana, the increasing of the ocean of bliss, Ananda Vardhana, Pratipadam, at every step, Pratipadam, at, each, at every step, Pratipadam, Purnamrita Swadana, tasting the full nectar, at every step. Pratipadam Purnamritaswadanam Sarvatma Snapadam bathing every soul, cleaning every soul. And what is it? Param Vijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtan. It's the Sri Krishna Sankirtan. It's all these things. It's like if everything else fails, read the directions. And so Lord Chaitanya is telling us in his Shikshastika how you can cleanse the mirror of your mind so you see reality. You're not just seeing this dusty, grimy, twisted version. But you're actually seeing reality. Like the curtains part. You see what's really there. And this forest fire, this burning, all this suffering and frustration, it's all extinguished. And your great fortune begins to blossom, and the wisdom within you becomes ecstatic, like 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 a like a happy bride. And the ocean of bliss increases for you, and at every step of your life, you taste the full nectar, and all of your soul is cleansed. That is the Sankirtan Bhuva. It's not just going. Sunday and chatting with your friends. It's the Sankirtan. That's what it is. It's like you And Sankirtan is infinite. There's no, it doesn't mean you have to do this or you have to do that. It just means you find a way based on your own unique abilities. You find a way to join in. Just find a way. Just find talk to others, work with them, do your own thing, just find some way that you can dedicate your life to the Sankirtan. In your own way. Find a way. In that sense, it's, uh, it's actually true what you said, although we should say it humbly, because Lord Chaitanya also said, Trinata, Peace, and Echena, you know, lower than the strong street. But in a humble, sincere way, respecting others, we should commit ourselves. We should decide that I am going to live my life at the side of Mahaprabhu, Gornitai, and Prabhupada. I'm going to live my life at their side, engaged in the Sankirtan movement. I'm going, I'm, going to, I'm going to do it. I'm really going to join them. 
It's like that beautiful song. It's like that beautiful song, Udila Aruna Purava Bhage. Dijamani Gora Amani Jage. That Udila Aruna Purava, like the orange reddish sun has just risen in the eastern quarter. Literally. Udila Aruna Purava Bhage. Dijamani Gora Amani Jage. And the jewel of the twice born, Goranga. Arises and Pakata Samuha Loya Shate, taking his devotees with him. He takes his devotees with him. Gila Nagarabraja, he goes to the towns and villages. So Maha Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, right down this earth, is going to every town and village. And you can go with him, he'll actually take you with him. I remember when I was a kid, my father, uh, my uncle had bought the supermarket when I was like, I think it's about eight or nine, maybe not, no, about nine or ten years old. Yeah, nine years old. So in the summer, when school was out, my father, he would, this was in LA, so he, I don't know if you know LA, he would drive like through Coldwater Canyon into the valley, to just on the other side of Coldwater Canyon, the valley, that's where the store was. And um, so in the summer, I would go with him a lot. And uh, he was really happy, you know, he was just like delighted to have one of his kids go with him. And, you know, got a little quality time with my father. And, you know, when I was just a kid, it was just so much fun, because he worked really hard, I didn't see him all the time when I was in school, and so it was just nice in the summer. I would go with him, you know, to, to the store. And, um, so it's just natural, you know, you just want to go with your dad, if, if you have a great dad. And so, you know, the super dad is Goranga. And, and you can actually go with him. He'll take you to work with him. And, and what he does, you know, that's what he does for a living. It's, like it's, like a, it's a job. So so this song is, Lord Chaitanya will actually take you. You can just like, he'll take your hand. Just take you. You just go along with him on this adventure, going to towns and villages. And just, it's great. Udilarana Purava Bhagi Dvijamani Gauramani Jage Jage means he wakes up. Bhagata Shamu Haloya Shati Gela Nagara Braja And then this restless and then it's Lord Chaitanya, it's like it's Sankirtan, like we chant and then we speak to the uh, millions who gather there to surrender to us. It's um so Lord Chaitanya is saying oh no, first it's describing Katai, Tatai, but anyway, the instruments and it's a beautiful song. What's it? Alright, I missed What did Ali do? This whole couch is shaking out of their lap. Anyway, Sankirtan. If you really want an intimate relationship with Prabhupada and Lord Chaitanya, you have to go with them. You can't you can't refuse to go with them and have an intimate relationship with them. And so, I mean, like I said, everyone's unique, everyone has their own way of doing it. But we have to be in the center of some spirit. Prabhupada is funny because like, there was a time just coming up these like guru controversies. And, and the funny thing is, Prabhupada's fear or his concern was that we wouldn't become gurus. He says very clearly, if you actually take the time to read what he said, he said that uh, Prabhupada taught that it's actually selfish not to be a guru. Because we all know, I mean, everyone here knows a lot about Krishna. We should share it. It's like people, 
we know something that everyone else needs to know, and we have to share it. We have to be generous. It's a question of generosity and gratitude for the help we've received. Anyway, that's it. It's a Sankirtan movement. So I guess we'll stop here. Ali, do you have any? This is the third time. We're going to stop here. Third time's a charm. That's our own denial. So I thank all our contestants. Harari Krishna. Kali Devi Devan.